0: psalm 8 hear the word of the lord to the chief musician on the instrument of gath a psalm of david O lord our lord how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, The birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Amen. Let's look to the Lord once again in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you with awe and worship at your holy name. And we thank you for such love to us unworthy creatures, us unworthy sinful creatures, and for the great and unthinkable gift that we could never have imagined or asked for, that you have given us your own Son incarnate to die for us. And we're represented in him before you in his perfect righteousness, and we're united to you through the Son and by the Spirit forever as your people, and we're bound for eternal glory We cannot fathom Your grace and love to us and all that You've done for us in Christ. But we ask You, through the preached Word, that You would open these truths to us, that You would help us as Your people, that You would build us up in our most holy faith and save dear ones here today that are outside of Christ. And we ask You this, for the praise of Christ, the glory of Your great name, in Jesus' name. Amen. As the psalmist David here is contemplating the created universe it moves him to give glory to God as he's contemplating. Maybe he's standing outside on a starry night and he's looking up at the sky and he sees the stars and the moon. You might have felt what this is like when you're standing outside and you, you see the glory of God's creation that he's in imprinted into the entire universe and you're you're captivated by it you're awestruck by the vastness and the beauty of it and you realize something of how insignificant you are as a human this induces David to ask this question what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him David knew something of the vastness of the created universe, but in his day he didn't know all that we're able to know now with advancements in technology just how vast this universe is. Our solar system is only one tiny part of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And if you could take the fastest spacecraft that we have now, Uh, There is one solar probe, the Parker Solar Probe, that can travel over 400,000 miles per hour. It would take you nine months just to get across our solar system. That solar system is one tiny part of our galaxy, the Milky Way. If you were to take that spacecraft and go from one end of our galaxy to the other, it would take you, at 400,000 miles an hour plus, it would take you 156 billion years to cross it. That's how vast the Milky Way is. And yet, now, scientists tell us that our galaxy is one of billions of galaxies in the universe. They estimate trillions of stars. The count is innumerable by human calculation. And the more we're able to look further and further into space, and as we see mind-blowing star clusters and all the, the colors and the vastness of all of God's created universe beyond us. We are awestruck that our galaxy is like a tiny speck of sand on a massive beach, and within that galaxy, a tiny speck of sand as known as planet Earth. And on Earth, us tiny, frail human creatures made from the dust of the Earth, and when we contemplate God's created Beauty, the beauty of God's creation and the splendor and the vastness of it, it makes us stand in awe like David. What is man that you would care for us? You could think about it like this. In the truth that Scripture bears out, and that we'll see that God placed man as the crown of his creation on earth. You know what it's like to go to a wedding and What's the most memorable part of that wedding? What is the focus of that wedding? I heard, you know, before I was married, people told me, you'll never forget that moment when the bride comes walking down the aisle. And she, in glory and splendor and in a special dignity, I heard an older pastor say one time, he's never seen an ugly bride on her wedding day. There is a... Beauty and a dignity about that. When the music starts playing, the entire crowd, their eyes turn. And here comes the father of the bride walking her down the aisle. That is the centerpiece. She is the crown of that wedding, just like Proverbs says. The virtuous woman is the crown of her husband. What a glorious and beautiful sight that is. Well, that illustrates something of the truth that God set man among all the creatures crowned him with glory and honor and set him with a dignity that belongs uniquely to no other creature but imagine with that beautiful and glorious bride in all her dignity imagine if later she falls from that dignity she becomes unfaithful to her husband and She's estranged from him and through her lifestyle she becomes haggard and gaunt and she becomes a shell of what she used to be. She's transformed more into something like a a hideous witch than she is that beautiful bride that she was on her wedding day. This is what happened to mankind when our father Adam fell into sin and we in him since he was our covenant head. Man is so degraded and so fallen from that original dignity that God created us with. But imagine if that husband never ceased to love his wife. And all those years he pursues her and he pursues her until finally he wins her back to himself and he joyfully takes her back as his own Bride, again, this is what Jesus Christ has done and is doing for all of God's elect in His incarnation and His death and life and His resurrected intercession for us. Jesus Christ is restoring us to the former dignity that we had before the fall and far beyond, infinitely above what we can imagine or what Adam ever enjoyed before the fall. God in Christ by the Spirit is restoring us as mankind to this great end. Dear listeners today, if you want to know why you exist. And I know as Christians, we all know this, but we need to be reminded of it. We need to think of the implications of it. Oh, dear unconverted one, dear sinner, if you want to know why you exist, what is your purpose for being here? Listen, hear the word of the Lord. God tells you exactly why. And we'll be considering this for the next four Lord's Days, Lord willing, on this theme. Our series theme is human happiness. And we begin today with this theme. You were created for dignity. You were created for dignity. We'll see this in four different ways that you as a human being were created and as a Christian are being recreated for dignity. First of all, you were created for a divine dignity or a divinely bestowed Dignity. The text tells us this in verses 4 to 5, when David asked the question, why do, why do you, O Lord, care about mankind? He tells us in, verses, in verse 5, you've made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. As a human being, you are made in the image of God, as we read from Genesis chapter 1. And this question that David asks, what is man? He asks it specifically in the context of God and who God is. The question is not just who is man. We could never find the answer to that question in itself. This question must be asked in relation to God. Who is man that you, O God, are mindful of Him? In this, as God's image bearer, you're created with this divine dignity given you by creation. It's embedded in your very nature to be the image of God. Just like a quarter bears the image of George Washington, you as a human being, your very existence, by your very existence, you bear the imprint of the one true God. The image of God in man is this. It is that you, unlike any other lower creature, which means every other creature besides angels, so angels in their own way are created in the image of God. They have the ability to know God and to love God. But besides angels, there is no creature in the universe besides man who has the ability to know God and to love God. That is, intellect and will. God has endued you as a human with a rational soul separating you from all of the lower creatures by which you're able to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And dear friend, it's not just that you bear the image of God. That is true. You're God's image bearer. But it's not just that you have the image of God, but rather, man is... The image of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven seven 7 that man is the image and glory of God. This is true even after the fall. Even in sin, man is still by creation God's image bearer and the very image of God. And he tells us this in the Noahic covenant. His covenant with Noah and really with all the created universe With all the earth and the creatures that live on it. God made this covenant that he expressed to Noah. And in Genesis 9, 6, he tells us that the the reason there should be capital punishment, if a human being murders another human being, the reason is this. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So you remember in Genesis 6 when the world was so evil, God destroyed them with a flood. There was unleashed violence and all kinds of sin. Those human beings were still God's image bearers. And the vilest sinner on earth today is still made in the image of God. And yes, we are tainted image bearers, but we still bear God's image. You could think of it like a mirror. You could see your reflection in that mirror. And at the beginning, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they, they shone forth a beautiful and clear reflection of who God is. But after they sin, mankind is like a shattered mirror. You could still look at that glass and see your reflection, but it would be distorted And yes, our reflection of the image of God and our bearing the image of God is distorted by sin, but nonetheless, every human being is still God's image-bearer. This is a divinely bestowed dignity that you're created with. Secondly, this psalm teaches us that you're created for a royal dignity. This is by covenant that's added to creation. In verses 6 to 8, he talks about the dominion of man over the lower creatures, land creatures, flying creatures, swimming creatures. We read where he says that he's crowned, crowned with glory and honor. This is royal language that's used elsewhere to speak of God's royal rule. And yet here he's speaking of it in relation to man, and this reminds us That as God gave man dominion over the entire earth and all the creatures in it, God is setting up man as his vice ruler, his vice regent, his co-ruler over the lower creation. We know that man is infinitely below God because only God is creator and man is creature, but yet God placed man over his entire lower created order. To take dominion over it. Over all non-rational creatures, which means everything except angels. Every created thing besides angels. We are to take dominion over them. As He commanded Adam... And this creation mandate is revealed in Genesis 1.28, Then God blessed them, that is, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, Fill fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When Adam fell into sin, he lost the full dominion over the creatures. And this is why now we have... Such dangerous animals and untamable animals and Scripture speaks about this. But this dominion mandate, this creation mandate does not cease because we find it also repeated in Genesis 9 in the covenant God revealed to Noah that we are still to go and multiply and take dominion over the earth. Man still bears this royal dignity and this is one thing that's so wrong about this propaganda today that puts the lower creation over and above man. There are people with the mentality that it would be good to wipe out the human race if it's better for the trees and the whales. That's blasphemy according to God's Word. Because man is to take dominion over the creation, not vice versa. Yes, we are to manage it well and responsibly for the glory of God. But we are to dominate it, not it to dominate us. It exists to subserve us. We don't exist to serve the earth. Not only is it that He gives us a royal dignity over non-rational creatures, but also over His enemies to conquer them. In verse 2, He said, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and avenger. The picture is this. Imagine an infant baby with its cries is praising and glorifying God. And out of those cries, God constructs a fortress out of those words and smashes down his enemies. That's the image that the psalmist is giving here. We can think of one way that was spiritually fulfilled at one point in the Ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ at Samaria with the woman at the well. In the infancy of her conversion, within minutes of her being converted to Christ, she goes into the town where she had lived in sin all her life. And she goes proclaiming Christ and telling others of Him. And many, many multitudes come with her and they come to Christ and are saved. And he's using even the infant cries of a new believer to smash down Satan's strongholds. This is a royal dignity. You're created for, thirdly, a beloved dignity. And this is in verses three to five. A beloved dignity. As he puts man in context of the vast created universe and then the angels themselves, this, this psalm reminds us that God has shown more favor and kindness to mankind than to any other creature in the universe man is more beloved to god than all non-rational creatures our lord jesus reminds us of this and encourages us in matthew ten thirty one. do not fear therefore you're of more value than many sparrows God cares for the sparrows. Every time one falls to the ground, God sees it. The Heavenly Father takes notice of it. But Jesus says, you're of more value than many sparrows. Take hope in this. You take the name of any lower creature, any non-rational creature in this world, any creature below man, and fill in the blank. You're worth more than many of those creatures. And if God cares for them, He'll care for you. But the point is, you're more beloved to God than all those creatures. You have a beloved dignity because you were created second only to the dignity of angels. We read that in our text here and then repeated in Hebrews 2. You've made Him a little lower than the angels. And by this created dignity, we are inferior to angels. Angels are spiritual beings. They're pure spirits. And they're creatures that are more intelligent Super intelligent, more so than we can even comprehend. Their power is more than we can comprehend. With even the ability to stir up entire storm systems, as we read in Scripture in the account of Job, the fallen angel Satan was able to generate an entire storm system. We have no idea. We can't even comprehend how powerful angels are We cannot comprehend how righteous and holy the unfallen angels are that surround God's throne. And we read of them little glimpses throughout Scripture as they radiate the glory of God and they cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. They're so powerful that one of them killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. Vast, unthinkable power, intelligence, and swiftness, and The holy angels in their obedience to God, and we're second only to those beings, the psalmist tells us. We're inferior to angels by our created dignity. But yet, by the conferred dignity that God has conferred upon us, we have even a greater dignity than the angels. In the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God becomes man, takes unto Himself our true nature, a true human body and rational soul. He's just as thoroughly and truly human as we are. The only difference is He's without sin. And as he did that, he conferred, God conferred a dignity upon us that he hasn't even conferred upon angels. And we can read of this in Hebrews 2.16 in our old authorized version. It translates it this way, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Thomas Watson puts it this way: God's children are above the angels, because Christ, by taking their nature, has ennobled and honored it above the angelic nature. He has in no wise took the nature of angels. Hebrews 2.16. Watson writes: God, by uniting us to Christ, has made us nearer to himself than the angels. In this respect, therefore, I may clearly assert that the children of God have a superiority and honor even above the angels though by creation they are a little lower than the angels, yet by adoption and mystical union they are above the angels. We can see as our Lord Jesus became man in the incarnation, he, as He did not cease to be God, as to His divinity is God truly God, as to His humanity is man truly man. But in His incarnation, Scripture says, tells us in Hebrews 1 that He, being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as He by His inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This point of the overarching point of this first section of Hebrews, which we read from in chapter two, is this: that Christ is superior to angels, and this is speaking not just due to his the fact of his divinity, that according to his divinity he is greater than nature than angels, but according to his humanity, now in his exaltation, angels have been made subject to him, and we read of this in 1 Peter three twenty two, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authority and powers having been made subject to Him. According to His deity, they've always been subject to Him because He is God. But according to His humanity, angels are made subject to Christ as man in His exaltation. And we read this also in Hebrews 2, 5-8 where it is repeating our psalm. Psalm 8 and is bringing out this point. You've set Him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under His feet. Behold the dignity of the man Christ Jesus, which exceeds even the dignity of angels. What a beloved dignity. And God has given the greatest honor possible to our kind, to mankind, since God the Son became man. And for us who are in Christ, As all things are ours in Christ, and we're co-heirs with Him, we also have angels brought into subjection to us in Christ. Paul teaches this in Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Satan is that fallen angel, Lucifer. And Paul tells believers in Christ, God will tread Satan himself under your feet. That's in this age. That's in this life. As the preaching of the gospel goes forward, as we are conformed more to the image of Christ, God is trampling down, as it were, by the very voices of infants. He is constructing a bulwark, a fortress to dominate and to smash Satan's kingdom. Even in the future, angels will be made subject to us. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6.3, he's rebuking them because they're so petty that they're taking each other to court over petty matters. And he says, don't you have the ability to judge this among yourselves? In 1 Corinthians 6.3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life... At the final judgment, when all reprobate men and angels stand before God, you, dear Christian, are going to be sitting over fallen angels judging them. What a beloved dignity God has placed upon His people in Christ. And you are being recreated for such dignity. Fourth, and lastly, you are created for doxological dignity. Doxological simply means that you're designed for worship. You're designed to worship God. He tells us this in verses 1 and 9. It brackets the whole psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth! He opens and closes the psalm this way. And this reminds us that the entire point of this psalm, which centers around God's care and attention for man, the entire point of this psalm is all glory to God. God receives glory in His creation of the universe, and specifically here, and especially in His creation of mankind. This is our whole purpose as humans. This is our end goal. This is why you exist, dear friend. Every one of you, every one of you exists for the glory of God to know Him. And our Lord Jesus said that this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Whom you have sent just as much as a shovel is designed to dig, as a bird is designed to fly, as fire is designed to burn. You are designed, oh dear friend, to worship God forever. And as you worship God, as mankind worships God Man is a microcosm, a miniature universe, and in man is summed up the entire created universe. We are spiritual beings endowed with a rational soul, which we have in common with angels. They are rational spirits. We are endued with a rational soul, and in that way we belong to heaven because we're spiritual beings. But we're also physical beings made from the dust of the earth, and therefore we have our feet firmly planted in the physical creation which the angels don't. And God has encapsulated in one creature in mankind a miniature universe to render praise and honor to Him, a creature who belongs both to heaven and to earth, by design for the glory of God, to worship God in a unique way that no other creature is able. This is true now. As God calls us to live all for God's glory in this doxological dignity, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now we as human beings, those of us who are in Christ, now have the ability and help and grace by the Spirit to worship God in spirit and truth. And he calls you, dear sinner, to come into this life of worship to God through Christ. It's also true in the future. When all of us, as God's people, will enjoy the beatific vision, we will enjoy the vision of the glory of God forever. And we will worship God, which is the end goal. You know about the runner in the old novel that says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure. He's saying, I'm doing something God designed me to do, and when I do it, I sense that I was created for this, and I have an enjoyment in it. You wait till you get to eternal glory, dear believer. You're overwhelmed with the joy, and you're overwhelmed with the satisfaction. This is the full fulfillment of why you exist. You're created for a doxological dignity. And in light of all this, in light of the teaching of this psalm that runs through all of Scripture, I remind you, every one of you, as mankind, you were created for dignity. See how far we fell in Adam. And see how God is restoring us in Christ to this dignity and infinitely above that original dignity as he creates and as he has created us and now he is recreating us in christ imagine the analogy of that bride that glorious bride of bearing that dignity at the wedding and she had fallen away and her husband had eventually restored her see christ restoring fallen mankind As Paul tells us in Ephesians, that Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Oh, how wonderful this restoration is that God is accomplishing in the person of Christ in his obedient life unto death sacrificed for our sins and his resurrection on our behalf and his ever-present intercession in adam we lost the glory of that divinely imprinted dignity it was marred and soiled and we've become so deformed in sin all of us have become like the devil's graffiti fallen from our original dignity and beauty in our sin. But Christ comes to restore us into the very image of God. In Colossians 3.10, you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created him. We lost the full glory of that royal dignity in Adam. As we lost dominion, full dominion over the creatures. And Job gets a taste of this as God reminds him of the Leviathan, that mighty sea creature that no man can tame. There are creatures that we can't tame and we have to struggle against creation all the time just to eke out a living. This is what Ecclesiastes teaches. We've lost that full dominion, but Christ is restoring it. In 1 Corinthians three twenty-one to 23 Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. He's restoring us to this dominion and far greater. The Apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even victory over death at the final resurrection. When we fell in Adam, we lost the glory of the beloved dignity and we were estranged from God. You know how Adam used to walk with God. God used to walk with him in the cool of the day in the garden. And they had such close communion and, and friendship. And Adam lost all that when he was driven out of the garden because of his sin. He's estranged and alienated from God. He's cast out of the presence of God. But Christ comes to restore us and to reconcile us to God. And we're now made what Paul calls accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted in Christ the Beloved. And now, God brings us unto Himself with just as much favor and just as much approval as He approves of Christ because we're in Christ. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19, or rather verse 19, that God... He's he's speaking of Christ at the cross, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. In the cross work of Christ, God is bringing us back to this beloved dignity and a far greater status than Adam ever enjoyed is our status in Christ. Adam lost the full glory of the doxological dignity. And we know this from texts like Romans one twenty one, which is true of all of us before we're saved, that because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've robbed God of the worship we owe Him, but we're being restored by Christ. And 1 Peter is one text that teaches us this, that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are being restored with this doxological, this worshipful dignity to give glory and honor to God who created and is recreating you. And now, based on all this, dear Christian, as you were created and are being recreated in Christ for dignity, I urge you to think like it and believe like it. Think like you're created and being recreated for this dignity. We can really go astray in our thinking. You know the common saying, to err is human. We can have the mentality or, or the saying today, I'm only human. There's a, there's a pop song that's got 1.7 billion views on YouTube. I'm only human. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put, put the blame on me. I'm only human. As if to be human is something degrading. Or as if to be human means to be sinful. Humanness equals sinfulness. Oh no, God didn't create a sinful. Ecclesiastes tells us that God created man upright. But they've sought out many schemes. Being sinful is not because you're human. Being sinful is because you're a fallen human in Adam. Sin is not to the essence of humanity. It does not belong to your essence. It does not belong to who you are and were created to be. Sin is an alien intruder into the human race that is hijacked The human race. And we've given it harbor. And we've given it place. But God created man upright and good. And we ought to think and believe like it. And when we talk about our sin, let us own it as sin and not as humanness. I'm only human. I'm only human. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on me. That pop song. God is never going to blame any human for being human. At the final judgment, God will never say to you, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, because you're human. He'll say, You workers of iniquity, it's because of your sin. Dirk Bentley's song, Burning Man. He says, I'm a little bit steady, a little bit rolling stone. I'm a little bit of heaven, a little bit flesh and bone little bit found little don't know where i am a little bit of holy water a little bit burning man you know what the theology is behind that song for one thing instead of saying i'm a sinner he's he's saying i'm flesh and bone he equates that he says i'm a little bit heaven a little bit flesh and bone i think what he's saying is what good old boy religion in america says is that I'm a little bit religious, you know, I respect God and the Christian faith. I'm a little bit heaven, but I'm a little bit flesh and bone. I I enjoy my sin. I, I love living in sin too. That's basically what the gist of it is. You'll hear that all in our pop music, and especially good old boy religion country music. What would be the true way to say it is, I'm created for the glory of God, but I live in sin and I've defaced the image of God. Being flesh and bone does not equate to being sinful. Our Lord Jesus, after His resurrection, told His disciples, I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. Our Lord Jesus, sinlessly perfect, is flesh and bone, just as human as we are. Sin is not inherent to the human race, and it is an invader. And if we own our sin, we must own it as sin. There is no hope for you if you see yourself just as human that makes mistakes oh i'm human i'm only human i make mistakes there's no hope for you there's no gospel for you there is no salvation for you the only salvation is that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners and the only way that you'll be saved is when you know and you acknowledge and you see yourself as a sinner there is hope for sinners because that's exactly who christ came to save Think like it, dear believer. You're created for dignity. Mourn like it. Consider how far we fell. You know, if one of our little children was running around today and tripped and fell, that's no big deal. If one of us tripped and fell, that's not that big a deal. But if the President of the United States trips and falls, it makes international news. For days and days, they're reviewing the footage, going over and over. He tripped and fell. What's the difference? It's because the office he holds is one of vastly higher dignity than any of us have. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why it's so unbecoming. That's why when he falls the same distance to the ground as any of us, it's so much further and so much worse of a fall because he fell from such a high dignity. Look how far down we fell in Adam. Look how deformed we are by sin. Oh, mourn over yourself and your own sins, dear Christian. You know what it's like as you're growing in grace, and you you see God bringing you along, and you're you're putting sin to death, and you're gaining victory over sin, and then you, you fall flat on your face, and you think... Why am I still so deformed? Why am I still so wicked? Why do I still have such ungodly, sinful desires within my heart? I can't believe I just thought that thought. I can't believe I just felt that desire. You're, you're shocked and you're disgusted by your own sin, aren't you, dear believer? Oh, we ought to mourn over this. Especially when we think of our father Adam before his fall, his soul, his rational soul had perfect control over his lower appetites and over his body. Never would he, before he sinned, never would he desire something wrong. Never would he have his appetites out of control, but they'd always be subject to his reason perfectly. And we fell from that. We ought to mourn over it. We ought to mourn over our dear unsaved family members, our children as we see their depravity and their lostness apart from Christ, as we see families, family members still outside of Christ, how we ought to mourn. When we see the wickedness of our nation and how that, at an accelerated rate, faster than any generation before us, the image of God in man is being assaulted and attacked from every angle and marred. And we're Satan's graffiti from the beginning, but it seems as though it's amplified now in modern technology is being used for things like internet pornography and now with the transgender mutilation of our young people and now with new super powerful drugs like we've never had before like fentanyl where overdose deaths are skyrocketing. Evil at an accelerated pace with human trafficking and child trafficking and everything around us that it was not a fraction of this Rate in my grandfather's generation. Oh, how we ought to mourn when we think of the dignity that man has fallen from. And we ought to pray like it. We ought to pray for the advancement of the Gospel. We ought to pray for further sanctification in ourselves as Christians and for the salvation of the lost. For God to turn our nation and turn our world by the advancement of the preaching of the Gospel. We ought to preach like it, as we know that what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 18, that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We have the only saving message. We have the only means by which God restores sinners to their original dignity and beyond. And that is in the preaching of Christ. And I exhort every one of you preachers, including myself, preach Christ clearly and by the power of the Spirit and in great hope, knowing that this is what God uses to restore us by His grace. It's His main and chief means. You're created for dignity, so rejoice like it, dear Christian. Think of what God is doing for you in Christ. I hope you're so awestruck when you think about it that you can't believe God's love for you and His grace to you. In Christ, rejoice and praise Him out of the vast billions of mankind. He has loved you from before the foundation of the world. Live like it, dear Christian. Live like you were created and are being recreated for dignity. Like Peter Martyr Vermigli, the reformer said, Christ paid a high premium for us. I beg that we stop underpricing ourselves and that we no longer be slaves to sin exactly what paul told us that we're bought with a price and therefore glorify your glorify god in your members which are upon the earth use your entire soul and body and all of your faculties of your mind to glorify god dear christian you have no business in sin you're created or being recreated for dignity hope like it dear believer yeah you're messed up now we're all messed up Even though we are more sanctified now than we were before we were saved. We are still deformed and marred and messed up by sin. And to some degree, we always will be in this life. But do not lose hope. Take hope. God is sanctifying you in Christ now. He is restoring you to the image of God. And in the future, He will perfectly restore you. The restoration will be complete And you'll dwell in everlasting righteousness and sinless joy and enjoyment of God forever. You can have this hope for yourself, dear Christian. You can have this hope for your lost family members, that God would save them and for our nation and for this world. There is no sinner too far gone for God to restore to this dignity. And dear sinner here today, do you see how far you fall short of the dignity that God designed for you? You know what it is, dear children, when you disobey your parents or you mistreat a sibling or you cheat or you lie or you steal, your conscience bothers you, you feel filthy inside, you feel alarmed, you, you feel guilty, you feel the shame of sin. Do you see how it's not supposed to be that way? Do you see that that sin makes you liable to eternal damnation? It reminds us of the account that our Lord Jesus gave about the prodigal son. He had everything that he needed in his father's house, but he fell so far from that dignity that after he'd gone and squandered all his dad's money that his dad gave him in his inheritance, there's the prodigal son... Feeding the hogs and he's starving. He has nothing to eat and he's about to eat the hog food. He's so hungry. Do you see how that's how you are? You're meant to be feasting at the Father's table and yet you're sitting with the swine, living with the swine in sin and reduced to rags. This is not how it's supposed to be. But I urge you that just like the prodigal son, he came to himself. He realized in his mind, why am I sitting here in this low condition with the hogs about to eat their food? When my servants in my father's house have food enough and to spare, I'll go back and ask him if I can be a hired servant. Oh, have a change of mind, dear sinner. Do you feel the misery of sin? Do you feel the unfulfillment of sin? Do you feel the, the filthiness and the guilt and the shame of sin? I hope you do. I hope God amplifies it in your soul. I hope God shows you how infinitely far short you fall of His glory so that you will rise and go to Jesus Christ. The prodigal son arose. He went back to the father's house just hoping maybe he'll let me be a servant. I can eat some of his food. and. When his father sees him coming, he runs to him and he smothers him with kisses. He's so overjoyed to see that son coming back. He doesn't restore him as a servant in his household. He restores him to the full privileges of his own son. Put the ring on his finger. Put the robe on his back. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast for the son. This is the spiritual feast that God has for you in Christ. Oh sinner, come to Jesus Christ and be restored to this dignity even now this very day. Amen.